Seems like every year we get to this day after a long season of ordinary time. Past few years we've done some book studies. This year we've been doing spiritual formation over a lifetime and have spent a number of weeks uh, with Peter and a number of weeks now with David. And I would just say for myself that it's been an important journey and lots of things that I've, I've certainly learned for myself and that have been important to me and I I hope they have been to you as well. Well, when I come to a passage like the ones we have this morning, there, you know, there's a lot going on in these passages. There's David, there's his death, there's Adonijah, Solomon, Bathsheba, Abishag, all their stories. There's political ramifications, there's theological ideas. It's a big turning point in Israel's history. And it just means for me, I always have to make decisions. What, you know, what are we going to do with a passage like this? And since we're talking about spiritual formation over a lifetime, my choice was to talk about death this morning as a fundamental aspect of spiritual formation. That spiritual formation over a lifetime, by definition, includes our death. And this, of course, is counterintuitive for the most part. Um, life is seen as the self-evident good and death as the enemy. I don't know if you've seen in recent weeks, but both Google and Mark Zuckerberg are now funding to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars ways to try to leverage computational processes to defeat death. And they're serious about it. I mean, I don't know how serious. I don't know if they actually think they will defeat death or if they're just talking about elongating human life to 100, 120 years or something, but they're serious about trying to do this. I mean, they are investing hundreds of millions of dollars in various startup ways to try to defeat death. Some of you may know the name Ray Kurzweil. He's a futurist. He's Google's director of engineering. And Kurzweil believes that through a combination of gene therapy, nanotechnology, and artificial intelligence, it may be possible to live forever. And this is, you know, the, I mean, on, on a, I mean, putting it positively, this is the optimism that, you know, that undergirds this technological revolution. In his Pulitzer Prize-winning book, The Denial of Death, a psychologist named Ernest Becker argued that death, or more precisely, our fear of death, is the primary force, driving force, in human culture. And that among all the animals, it's we humans that are aware that we are limited and will someday die. And so Becker writes, this is the terror. Having emerged from nothing, to be given a name, to have a consciousness of a self, we also have this excruciating inner yearning for life and for self-expression. And with all this, the deepest need is to be then freed from the anxiety of death. But Peterson, in his book, Leap Over a Wall, that we've been using in this series, sees death as the great limit, the great limiter, and thus a good. Peterson sees human limits as a good. He means something like an artist can't paint without a canvas. It's the borders of the canvas that allows an artist to even start. Or you need a wall to do a mural. All kinds of ball games need lines. And it's only those limits that allow actually something to be done. Well, when I began reading this chapter this week, I wasn't sure I liked what Eugene was doing in this last chapter. But I know Eugene well enough to know that he's usually on to something. And I know myself well enough to know that when I start, you know, kind of instinctually rejecting this stuff, that it's often a sign to me that I need to respond to some blind spot or some poor thinking 
on my part, maybe for yours as well. Because it sure seems like that for four or five, six hundred years now, everything seems to point away from limits. Think of the Enlightenment, the Industrial Revolution, the Scientific Revolution, our current technological revolution. Think of the advances in cosmology. People are now seriously talking about colonizing the moon or Mars. No one would have thought of that when I was a grade school kid in the 60s. And so it seems like everything that's being said to us for now hundreds of years says there are no human limits. You should never succumb to limits. You should always be trying to conquer them. Okay, I get it. But you know, all the leaders of the Enlightenment are dead. And Zuckerberg will someday be dead. God rest his soul. (laughs) And the leaders of the Industrial Revolution are now dead. Copernicus is dead. Locke is dead. Newton are dead. So there is something to the advance of human life, but it doesn't somehow set aside death. And so contrary to this psychologist Becker, I would say we actually don't emerge from nothing. We precisely emerge from someone who has an intention for humanity and that human death gets caught up into what God is doing. It doesn't get put aside. Again, contrary to Becker, I would say that death is defeated. And here, of course, I'm only channeling Jesus, who said, whoever believes and lives in me will never die. Whoever has confidence in me, whoever's following me will never die. Tom Wright has written that the point of the resurrection is that our present bodily life is not valueless just because we'll die. Rather, what we do with our body in the present matters by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, these things will all last into God's eternity. And thus these activities are part of what we might call participating in God's kingdom life. And it's what gives them meaning. So again, I always have to make choices, you know, what am I gonna do in 20 minutes here? And I just thought it was most honest to this series to spend some time asking ourselves, well, what are the formational elements, if we're talking about formation over a lifetime, what are the formational elements of death? And there's a long Christian history that says that contemplation of death can be and is a spiritual exercise. That as Peterson talked about limits, contemplating death is meant to offer perspective. And this perspective is meant to lead to freedom from lust and greed and pride and fear and those sorts of things. In fact, the rule of St. Benedict says, keep death before one's eye daily. Psalm 90 says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That, That text really means something like this, teach us to live wisely and well. Keep us from unreflective and foolish living. And the notion is, is that reflecting on our death is what informs then wise living. So here's just a handful, I think, of of the sort of uh, formational implications of death. First, thinking again of what Tom Wright was writing, it's good to focus on this life, but not in order to distract yourself from your eventual death. So focus on this life is very helpful, but we do it because What we do in God's name will last into God's future. Well, the other side of that coin is it's good to look forward into God's future. But if that leads you to think that the present doesn't matter, well, then we've missed the point. 
So we, the first formational issue is we have this tension in which this life is good, but in a sense there's a better good coming. Looking to that is great and wonderful as long as it doesn't devalue the present life. And the present life is to be lived in fullness as long as it's not some sort of distraction from what's more real. Well, secondly, I thought of the notion of practicing progressive relinquishment. And you've all done this. You all have practice in it, at least most of you. Some of us still might be in therapy over this, but most of us uh, have done this. You have let go of your childhood and you've let go of your youth. So you relinquish that. You have some practice in doing that. Most of us in this room have practice in releasing friends and relatives and parents who have died. That is the practice of relinquishment. Lots of us in this room have practiced at empty nest. It's another sort of relinquishment. And so as we go through life, if we're going through it healthily, we are able to practice relinquishing things to God. Thirdly, one of the Ignatian exercises is to meditate on the point of our death, is to actually meditate on, you know, obviously using your imagination on the moment of death. And the idea for Ignatius was that as we learn to do that, we can then picture that point and begin to wonder whether this decision or that might be best. As we begin to feel what a dying person might feel in their heart, we then hopefully begin to get clarity. And where there are grudges that need to be let go of, we let go. Or where the pursuit of power and money has been something core, we can then see it as foolish. We can see relationships for what they are. And the idea is that it would bring us to deeper faith and that the true things of life would be brought to the fore. Now, as I say, there's a long history in this in spiritual formation. In the 15th century, so 14-something, a book was written called The Art of Dying. In 1650, Jeremy Taylor wrote a book called Holy Dying. And these were meant to be remedies against the fear of death. And both these books, of course, say it's difficult to come to grips with one's own death. And to do so, they give us these tips. So the first is, obviously, to consider God's judgment. As you begin to picture your moment of death, let it now inform you seeking and offering forgiveness for seeking reconciliation with alienated friends or family and to begin to let go of those who remain. If you've ever watched someone die, you know that a process of, of someone's dying is their own grief, right? right? We're aware of our grief as someone dies, but we're not always aware of their grief as they have to let go of life as they've known it and grieve that and let go of themselves being bodily present to people who they will no longer be bodily present to. And this is for them and will be for us an aspect of death, of grieving what once was. Ignatius thought that as we contemplated that moment of death, that it would help us deal with present guilt or shame, regret, or remorse. And if you've gone through the death of a grandparent or a parent or something where sort of aging begins to win, you know that that slow sort of natural process, you know, we, we call it... Um, you know, dying from natural causes, that sort of aging that happens, you know there comes a point where somebody has to say to the dying person, it's okay, you can go, right? There comes that moment where it's, it, it just has to be okay. 
has to be okay for the dying one, has to be okay for the dying one's loved ones. It's okay to go. And of course, the vision for this is our gospel reading this morning, John 12, that unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it falls into the ground and dies, it produces life. It produces a whole harvest of seeds. And so we read this text this morning because it helps us see that when we think of Jesus, though his death looks like a monumental tragedy, you know, he quotes this psalm from David, right? From, from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. But the judo, so to speak, is that it's precisely Jesus's death that saves the world. And the last part of Psalm 22 tells us that God is in charge and that he has the last word, not death. And so the Jesus life, as we put ourselves in his life, empowers a kind of humanity in which death yields to resurrection. And this resurrection life starts now. It's not something you get after you die. If you are in Christ today, it means you are in resurrection. Just think of your baptism and your baptismal vows, or think of Paul's commenting on baptism in Romans 6. You're buried in the waters of death and raised to the new life of the resurrection so that we can practice resurrection today. And practicing resurrection can form new habits of life that are then based on it. So as we come to the end of this series and the end of this book that we're using of Eugene's Leap Over a Wall, Peterson in this last chapter says, death either teaches us to live or we fear it or deny it for as long as possible. Obviously attached to it is a fear of the unknown. Death's obviously an experience we can't predict or control. Death, of course, is the loss of all that's been dear to us. The elderly fear withering. They fear the loss of dignity. They fear the loss of independence. I mean, if I were just to keep it real, just from thinking about these passages and Peterson's chapter here, I don't like limits. I like to whine, right? Like airplane seats are uncomfortable and they hurt my back and they bother my hip and they hurt my knee. So I like to whine about it, but I wouldn't like anybody to tell me you can't go anywhere anymore. That'd be a very different thing. I can't whine without freedom, put constraints on it, and it's something different. It's a limit. But I'm convinced that limits are precisely that which allows focus. So we, we walk in this very interesting space where the limits of this life inform the life that begins now and will be forever. And thus death is no longer the enemy, right? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is the last enemy to be conquered. And Romans 8 says that not even death can separate us from the love of God. And the great gift of the New Testament, Hebrews 2.15, is that Jesus freed those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, if you can't tell me some, if you tell me something I can or cannot do and set me those sorts of limits, I will interpret it as a form of withering, as a lack of freedom, of an impingement upon myself. But if like an artist, I can adopt that and it becomes my canvas, then it's the opposite. It frees me to start. I can begin to pencil in maybe, you know, I can, I, can just, I can start now. And this is what victory over death is meant to be for us. Not as the great stopping point, but the limit that allows us to start. To say, I'm here, 
and I am me, and this is my life, and it's okay. And then I can start. I can start to then live life in its fullness, being all that God intended me to be, uh, his life that is never ending, flowing through me. But as long as I stay paralyzed in the fear of death, And managing that through not wanting to have any limits on my life, that's actually paralyzing. It's the opposite of what we think it is. Precisely accepting limits, and especially this big, iconic limit of death that allows us to actually live. So as we have a quiet moment now, I want to invite you to think about your instinctual reaction to limits, and especially this big limit of death. And to just wonder for a moment with God by the Spirit, for you are limits creators of focus and freedom or are limits something to be denied and fought against? And whatever's there, you might just want to wonder about it and take a few moments to speak to God about it.